Romans chapter number one this morning, as we look at our Christian duty, I say this morning we all have a duty as an American, but even greater than that, we have a duty as a Christian. Uh, I am proud to be an American. I am proud to be a veteran of our armed forces, to have served. Uh, and those are wonderful things, and those are things that um, uh, that we should stand uh, for and that we should be uh, in service to. But before that, before I am a citizen of the United States, I am a citizen of heaven. And uh, I appreciate all that my country stands for, but it's a fleeting thing that will pass. It is something that will come to an end at some point in time in the future. It will not stand forever uh, but I'm glad this morning that uh, I have a Savior uh, who is my God and my King and who will uh, one day rule and reign for all of eternity. I'm glad that He sits on the circle of the earth, that He in comfort, that He that He's in charge and in control of everything that happens. And uh, what a wonderful comfort that is. But to that end, as His child and as a citizen of heaven this morning, I have a duty. We sometimes are people that have have grown to a place in the time in which we live where we're all we're a lot more about what our country can give us than what we give it and then consequently that translates that mindset often translates into our spiritual life and our walk with God uh, where we're into Christianity more for what we can get out of it than what we can pre- that what we can give to it uh, and I say that this morning, believing that Jesus Christ is my Savior, that He gave Himself on Calvary's cross, that there's not anything that I can do to be saved. I can never be good enough. I could never be committed enough. I could never, uh, I could from the moment of birth live my entire life sinless and come fully and completely committed to Christ and still die and go to hell because of the sin nature that I inherited from my father Adam back in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and that sin nature still has to be cared for, paid for. And Jesus did that. What a wonderful truth this morning that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. The Apostle Paul understood that. The Apostle Paul saw it well from both sides of the spectrum. He uh, was a man who at one point in his life was hard and cruel and, uh, and really vicious uh, he is a man who was fully committed to the annihilation of the New Testament church. He was a man that was in pursuit and destroyed families uh, of and the destruction of families. He had split up families. He imprisoned families. He executed some. I believe personally uh, that he was the one who gave the execution order for Stephen as he stood there uh, on the edge of the pit as Stephen became an early martyr in the church. Uh, and then one day the Apostle Paul met the man that he persecuted, the Lord Jesus Christ, on a road to Damascus to further persecute the church of the Lord. Uh, and he gave his heart to Christ. And he was never the same. Immediately his life was transformed and changed and he has spent his life at this point uh, serving the one whom he once persecuted. It's important to understand that as we get into the text this morning because it puts in context the words of the Apostle Paul. This is a man uh, who was very educated. He was a man who was very knowledgeable. He understood the scriptures. He was a doctor of the law. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most respected uh, teachers in Israel, and he he was one who uh, had great power before his salvation uh, with man, but after his salvation he found great power with God. 
he is one that was willing to suffer persecution for the cause of truth and right. And he was one uh, who would stand up to even other apostles whenever they were wrong uh, and were not looking at things in a way in which they should. Paul here is coming into the end of his life. He is he is writing to the Romans. He is as he is in Rome. He will in in the city of Rome in prison be beheaded for the faith of Christ. Uh, he knows that his uh, that his journey is is uh, going to end at some point. He uh, and some point soon as his life. Uh, moves on. Everywhere that he goes, he becomes a target. He is chased from one city to the next as he goes preaching the gospel and establishing churches. If you study uh, the movement in the early church and the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, many times when he would go to a church and the Jews would rise up and cause a stir to the point that he had to flee. It was not the people that were from that city. It's the people that were from the previous city that were so enraged at the message of truth that they followed him there. Uh, and that when they knew where he went, went so that they could cause disruption there. But he pressed on. He served God. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was one who had been stoned and left for dead. And I think that you could even make the argument that he did die and was resurrected. Uh, he never acknowledged that specifically. He, in the way, in his terms, he said, whether I was out of my body or not, I don't know. God knows. Uh, but certainly when they stoned him, they left him for dead, believing that he was. And so Paul was one who was not just willing to say, hey, I'm glad that I found salvation in Christ Jesus. He was one that was willing to say, because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, I have a love obligation and I have a moral obligation to give my life to him. I have been commanded by Christ to give my life to him. He has commanded us to give our bodies a living sacrifice. And the Apostle Paul uh, preaches that and writes that in the book of Romans in chapter number 12 in the first two verses. Uh, and so we know that the Apostle Paul is not a man who just writes stand when it's hard. He's a man who has lived by example and shown us by his own testimony how to stand when times are hard and when things are difficult. At this writing, Paul is longing to see his brethren in Rome. He writes to them and he says uh, that uh, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves them. And things would be so difficult for Christians in Rome that for a time they would have to flee the city and then return. The term Roman candles, is, it comes from, uh, it's not a little firework. The 4th of July is not far off. It's not that little stick that's got 10 little explosive charges that blow out and make a pretty light in the sky. The original Roman candle was a Christian being mounted on a pole and burned alive on that pole to light the streets of the city of Rome. We look at the price that was paid by these men and those that followed the burden, the testimony of the Apostle Paul. And he says, Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And we still speak about it today. And what a wonderful testimony that these people understood and the price that had to be paid. And hey, listen, I'm glad today that, that we have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ upon us. I'm glad this morning that we have great liberty in Christ. I'm glad this morning that 
that he gives us tremendous blessing uh, and opportunity to serve. But I'm just telling you this morning that sometimes we need to catch sight of the fact that there is a price that has been paid and there is a price that is expected uh, of the Savior from us to reach those that are lost in the world around us. And Paul, longing to see his brethren, says, hey, listen, I want to come and be a help and a blessing to you. And he tells them that as he said, and when he says, for I long to see you in verse 11, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. He's not wanting to come uh, and to just speak niceties. He's not wanting to come and just say, hey, let me give you this gift and make your life easier. He says, I'm going to do some things for you. I want to come into your presence, but it is for a purpose. Paul, I believe, always did things with a purpose. He did things intentionally. And I think that everything that Christians do should be done intentionally. You should be intentional uh, in the training of your children. We should be intentional uh, in our marriages and how we grow them and how we uh, stay in love one with another and how we move forward throughout life together. We should be intentional as a ministry about how we go reaching the community around us. We should be intentional as Christians about developing our love for God and our walk with Christ and getting to know Him. Well, Pastor, how can I fabricate or manufacture a love for Christ in my heart? You can't. You just spend time with them. You spend time with someone that loves you like Jesus loves you and you will grow to love him. And God even said, you love me because I first loved you. And we learn how to love from God. But he desires to come to Rome and to his people and to be a help to them, to be a blessing to them. He comes not to get, but to give. Now he receives from time to time from the churches. There are many times throughout the New Testament where Paul is acknowledging uh, the gift that has been given to him or that has been sent to him from another church as he moves out through his ministry. Paul is not saying that it's wrong when others want to do something to help and to be a blessing to you, uh, that, it's, that it's wrong for them to do so or for us to accept it when they do. Paul, But Paul's purpose is not to go through life so that he can get from God's people or to get from God or to get from the Lord Jesus Christ his intention is to go to give his intention is to go being a blessing and he sets out to do so and so we see uh, that he comes and he knows that their spiritual development is going to encourage him Uh, notice he says uh, in verse number 12 that is that i may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me What's he saying? He says, uh, hey, listen, I want to come and give you this gift. I want to help you to be established and we will be encouraged. I will be encouraged by our mutual faith, by our growing love for the Savior, by our growing devotion to our duty to Christ and to his church, to all of these things that God uh, has ordained. Paul comes and says these things. The apostle John put it this way. I have no greater joy than to know that or to see that my children walk in truth. We say that and we quote that verse often about our, our children, our, uh, our personal physical children and our families. But what he's really talking about here, and Paul refers often to those that he has brought to Christ as his children in the faith. Listen, he is encouraged because his children in the faith are living for God. They're serving God. Their faith is growing. Their devotion is growing. Their willingness to pay a price is growing. And we need to grow 
past the phase of life in which we're always looking out to what can God do for me and start asking ourselves, what am I doing for the cause of Christ? And Paul comes and he says, listen, I've got things to do. I want to come. I want to be a blessing. I I know that in being a blessing to you, I'm going to be encouraged by what you do and how you work in your life. It is the satisfaction that comes from a job well done. I look around this morning and I could uh, pick out several families and look back at the course of the time that it's taken. I look at, uh, at Brother Billy over here. And Brother Billy, uh, seven years ago, was uh, working shifts that, that kept him uh, swinging around all the time as far as his work schedule and uh, sleeping during the day. And then uh, one day, about probably about six years ago, maybe six and a half years ago, uh, somebody knocked on his door from Victory Baptist Church. And, uh, and a, a, few, a few, I don't know if it was that Sunday or a few Sundays later, he uh, walked in the doors and he visited and then uh, he visited a Sunday or two and disappeared uh, and we couldn't find him and couldn't make contact and uh, we knew where he lived but we couldn't get him to the door uh, and so we uh, just kept sending letters periodically and then a few months later he showed back up again and uh, showed up for a couple of weeks and then disappeared again we just kept sending the letters kept trying to reach out uh, and then uh, and then he showed back up again for a few weeks then he disappeared I don't know how many times that went on brother Billy three or four times uh, and then and all of a sudden uh, he showed up one time and his schedule had changed and we were able to set an appointment somebody else went to his house and sat down with him to visit and shared with him the gospel uh, and he trusted Jesus as the Savior and he got baptized and he's learned the word of God and he's grown faithful in church and now uh, so almost uh, six years later he's he's faithful he's here uh, unless he's working on Sunday morning Sunday night on Wednesday night he's here on Saturday uh, cleaning up around the church and eating weeds and doing all kinds of fun the fun stuff that nobody else likes to do uh, and so what a blessing. And, and we could go around the room to different families that God has touched and worked. And it's not always been a, a simple task like just knocking on a door and saying, hey, let me tell you what Jesus did. And they get saved and they come that Sunday and they get baptized and they go through disciple and right off the bat, they're just ready to serve God. It doesn't always happen that way. And matter of fact, in this day and age, it seldom happens that way. To be persistent. The grace of God. God loves us and God wants us to do. But somebody's got to be willing to stand up and say, I have a responsibility and a duty and an obligation to do the work that God has given us to do. Otherwise, the work and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ goes by the wayside. And it is wasted on those of us that have an obligation to share and to live our faith. Doesn't do us any good to share it if we don't live it doesn't mean much if it's not backed up by a life that's real and genuine. And Christians will never be perfect, and we certainly will never be a perfect church, and you certainly never will have a perfect pastor, at least not this one by a long shot. Uh, but one thing that we can be is genuine and real. And we come and we understand what the Apostle Paul is laying out for us here. And he says, listen, I want you to be established that I might come, uh, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Listen, people that have been reached, that just love God, that serve God, that are going, that are discipled in Christ, that are serving the Lord, what a blessing, what a great encouragement to the pastor, to the staff, to the individual church member that went and knocked on that door or, uh, or sacrificed their time or prayed for someone to come to Christ. It is an encouragement. And Paul makes a statement because he certainly faced opposition along the way, but he overcame it. 
He never stopped loving. He never stopped preaching truth. He never stopped serving Christ. He never stopped giving his heart to those uh, that needed that needed him uh, and that needed the message of Christ. He never gave up, but he faced opposition along the way. The imprisonments, the beatings, the shipwreck, the snake bite, all the things that he dealt with, but he just kept serving God. He makes a statement in each of the next three verses that make up the body of the message this morning. And I believe should be the testimony of every Christian as we come together and we look on a day like today when we honor those that gave the ultimate sacrifice of their lives in duty and service to our nation. And Jesus Christ gave himself in sacrifice that our souls might be saved and that our lives might be lived not just free from sin's penalty, but from its, <coughs> but from its persecution, its power, uh, that we, uh, like the Apostle Paul, should embrace our duty as God's people. We don't like to hear messages like this in the day and age in which we live. We don't uh, hear many that would even like to preach them. And, uh, well, pastor, if you preach that and if you preach that strongly, then it's just going to take people that are new or that aren't serious about Christ and drive them away. Well, just maybe it might inspire somebody to realize that I have a com- an obligation to the one that gave everything for me. And Jesus Christ sacrificed everything. He left the perfection of heaven. He left his place of, uh, of, of, of Godhood. And uh, he never stopped being God. But he put on human flesh. And he put himself in the little babe's body. And he uh, grew into a man. And he lived his life. And he walked amongst us. And he knew what it was like to sweat and to stink. And to work with people that would betray him. And that would turn upon him. And he, he was learned what it was like to, uh, to be persecuted. And ultimately beaten and sacrificed on a Roman cross for the, for the, so that our sin debt could be paid. Jesus Christ did all of that for us and then he conquered death and hell and rose from a grave and he set out amongst us and he walked with him for 40 days and then he ascended into heaven and 10 days later he sent the Holy Spirit of God to indwell us and to empower us to live for his glory and to share the gospel and Jesus did all of that. And then he says to us, I want your body in return as a living sacrifice. I'm just telling you this morning that we as God's people have a duty to Him. We have an obligation to the one that gave everything for us. Paul loves the people that he's reached and he longs to spend time with them, but is spending time with a purpose. Nowhere in the Scripture do you see Paul talking about, hey, I want to come and just hang out. I'm not saying that it's wrong to hang out, but Paul did not do a lot of hanging out. Paul did a lot of intentional investing. And we as God's people need to be investing in those around us that are lost. He makes the statement in verse, the statements in verses 14 uh, through 16. He says in verse 14, I am debtor. He says in verse number 15, I am ready. He says in uh, verse number 16, I am not ashamed. And we look this morning and consider uh, these truths. And I would say this morning, and first of all, uh, number one, if you're keeping your outline there, I am debtor. And in that we see Paul's burden. Paul has a burden for people. 
Paul has a burden to share his faith, to share the gospel. Paul has a burden to go into communities that have never heard the name of Christ and to, uh, and to share with them what Jesus Christ has done and the sacrifice that he's made. Uh, and it's not just Paul walking in and saying, hey, uh, if you trust Jesus, you go to heaven and then life will just be great. No, he's going and he's saying, if you give your heart to Christ, he'll save your soul and you'll have eternal life. But then you have an obligation and a duty to him to fulfill as you grow in his grace and as you partake and your faith grows and you're developed and you learn of him and I would say this morning to, to the person who is understanding the price that has been paid for them that it automatically in any normal decent person causes us to be compelled to know the one that did so much for us to show to him the gratitude that he out of gratitude what he has given to us uh, that we would look to him and say as Paul said I am a debtor Notice what he says in the verse. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So much so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel also uh, to them that are at Rome also. I am debtor. What is he talking about here? Well, obviously this morning the Apostle Paul is saying, I owe a debt to the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions and references here to the uh, barbarians, the Greeks, the Romans, to the Jews. He, he's referencing his life up to this point. And what he's saying essentially is this, is that I spent my life thinking that I was serving God by persecuting his church. <coughs> and whatever you think about the man Saul before Jesus saved him and turned him into the apostle Paul, he was a man that did what he did with, with great vigor, not because his goal was to maim and to hurt, but because he believed with all of his heart that he was serving God. He believed he was in pursuance of the service of his God. He was genuine in that. He had knowledge of that. He had power in that. He was empowered by the high priest. He was empowered by the Sanhedrin, he was empowered by those that had the ability to deputize him with that authority as he went out to persecute. And Paul references throughout his writings how, uh, how he comes back to that fact uh, that, hey, listen, uh, I, uh, I am a person uh, who is the greatest of sinners because he never could forget the persecution that he put on God's people and the church before he found Christ. He that stayed with him. And he realized that in that persecution that the one ultimately that he had most persecuted was the Lord Jesus Christ. They're his first. The church is the Lord's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not uh, the city of Baytown's church. Victory Baptist Church, like every church like it, belongs to one person and one person only, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his church. He gave himself for it. It doesn't matter uh, if somebody wrote a check to build a building. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God. And we come to the realization, the point where Paul says, I am a debtor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he's a debtor to the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ took the Apostle Paul's sin, took Saul's sin upon his own body to a cross on Calvary, and he paid the price of that sin. He suffered in shame and agony for that sin. 
By the way, the same Jesus that died for Paul died for you and me. The sins that Jesus paid for were not just the sins of those that have come to know him as their Savior or someday will. The sins that he paid for were the sins of all men for all time. Every sin that's ever been committed since the Garden of Eden, Jesus Christ paid for on Calvary's cross. There will not be one soul in hell that can ever look up at God and point its finger and say, you didn't die for me. He paid for every sin. He died for every man. Whether it's accepted or not, you go to a ball game sometimes and you hear them over the PA system generally toward the end of the game. They say, uh, you know, you could go to a sellout crowd and uh, you can't get a ticket. But when you get there, they, they, at the end, at some point, they're going to say, but today's attendance is. Capacity is 80,000. Tickets sold are 80,000. Actual attendance is 75,000. That means 5,000 people bought a ticket and didn't show up to use it. You realize this, this morning that every soul that's ever been conceived has had its ticket to heaven punched, bought, paid for, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that will call waiting for someone to come and pick it up uh, that many people never bother. But Jesus paid the price. Paul said, I know that Jesus paid my sin debt. I know that as vile as I was, as much damage as I caused, as evil and corrupt, as, as, uh, as harsh and uh, as, as, as the way that I served God in error, how dare I live life and not serve God with that same vigor uh, and with that same passion uh, now that I have truth. And he did. And he was true to that. And he lived it. Paul's a man. That means that Paul didn't always feel like it. That means that but Paul uh, had to have points and times in his life uh, where it was not necessarily easy to pack up and move to the next city. But there's one thing that kept driving him. There's one thing that kept pushing him down the road. It was the fact that he owed a debt. He owed a debt. He owed a debt to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also felt that he owed a debt to those that he persecuted. <clears throat> I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He references in other passages how it bothered him and it weighed on him his life before. He owed a debt to those around him. He gave his every waking moment and its energy to sharing the gospel with those that were lost. To training, to discipling, to developing, to inspiring, to compelling others to service. Why? Uh, because he owed a debt to those that he had persecuted. I can't go back and bring them from the dead. I can't necessarily get those that I've imprisoned out of prison. I cannot put back together the families uh, that I tore apart. But I can go uh, to those that do not know Christ. And I can share the faith of Christ with them. And I can restore their families. And I can keep them from going down this road. And I can help them uh, come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Paul owed a debt to those that he persecuted. And I would say this morning that we should consider the possibility 
opportunities that we as God's people should consider the fact that we owe a debt not only to the Lord Jesus Christ, but from those that we have failed to give a gospel message. So those that we have failed to deliver from destruction that were looking to us, that were within our sphere of influence, we owe a debt to those that we on a bad day uh, or those that we uh, in a time when we were not walking close to the Lord, but they knew our testimony that we drove away from Christ, we owe them a debt. Paul owed a debt to those that he persecuted. He owed a debt to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see in this is that Paul's burden for lost souls burned in his heart. Rich or poor, dirty or clean, slave or king, Paul paid his price. He paid his debt. He said, I have a duty to warn others. Not Paul, but it's been said, I have a duty to to warn others that the bridge is out. (coughs) Brother Davison was reminding me of a a bridge in, in Oklahoma, in southeastern Oklahoma, I believe, a few years ago. Uh, I forget exactly what the context of our conversation was, but we were talking about uh, this problem, and uh, and there was a bridge that was out, and the way that the road was situated, it was over a waterway. Uh, you could not see it until the last minute, and he told me how many cars went into the water, how many people drowned, because there was a bridge out. It couldn't be seen as you approached it, and no one had bothered to put out a sign yet or had or, or to turn their flashers on or to park down to warn those that were coming upon it. We have a duty. We have an obligation to warn others. People will die and spend eternity in hell many times, not because they would not receive Christ, but because no one bothered to tell them how or no one bothered to tell them that they had a need. No one bothered to live in such a way that our message brought that the message of Christ brought uh, conviction or had credibility. I am debtor. Listen, this morning, the Apostle Paul is not the only debtor. We also are debtors. We owe a debt this morning to our Savior. We owe a debt to those that we have driven away. We owe a debt to those that we have squandered our opportunities to reach to not squander opportunities in the future. Secondly, this morning, consider in verse number 15, so as much as is in me, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He said, I am ready. In this we see Paul's boldness. The apostle Paul was not one to shy away from just speaking truth. Paul was a man that had great boldness. Paul is a man that was provocative. He did not go around, I don't believe, just just spewing things out in a hateful or malicious way. But the fact of the matter is, this morning, is that the only thing that you really have to do in the political climate within our country to go out and to really cause a big stink is to just go out and speak the truth. Go out and preach biblical morality and see how well it's received in the culture around us. By the way... God's morality hasn't changed. What God called sin is still sin. And just because it's been normalized and accepted by our culture doesn't make it right or unsinful. It's still sin for a man and a woman to come together uh, intimately outside of the bond of marriage. It's, It's adultery or fornication. It's still sin uh, for same-sex couples to come together. It's sodomy. 
It's wrong uh, for Christians to be accepting and to embracing that culture. It's equally wrong uh, to be hateful and ugly and unkind uh, to people that are in sin uh, of any type, whether it's that sin, a moral sin, or immorality. But we cannot stand up and say that that which the culture has normalized and accepted as a new morality is godly. It's still sin. It's still sin to lie. It's still sin to deceive. It's still sin uh, to be unkind and cruel. It's still sin uh, to be deceptive. It's still sin uh, to abuse our body. It's still sin uh, to live in immorality. It's sin. The Apostle Paul was not afraid to go into a city and say that because of your sin, you need Jesus Christ. That because of what you done because of how we live because of our sinful nature we have the need of Jesus Christ and God help our churches to return to a time and help our pulpits to return to a time when God's men are not afraid to rear back and to call sin by its name and to name what sin is and what the Bible boldly proclaims is sinful is still sinful because it because of it Paul said, I am ready. I am ready to preach the gospel. I am ready to preach the truth of God's word. I am ready to preach. And to those that would say, Pastor, he said he was ready to preach the gospel. May I remind you that the Bible says that we are to preach the whole counsel of God. All of it must be preached. Paul's preaching in Jerusalem. The religious center of the world, we see that he was that, that he going there preaching truth that he would be mobbed, that he would be taken ultimately into custody, that he uh, would be and had those that were uh, that were covenanted to destroy him, to take his life. We will not eat, we will not drink until his life is over, till he, we have killed him. In Athens, the intellectual center of the world, he was mocked. And the intellectuals always mock God's word, God's truth, God's people. Paul's preaching in Rome, the legislative center of the world, he was martyred. And the trend that we see as Paul goes in the religious circles, he was mobbed. In the intellectual circles, he was mocked. And in the legislative centers, he would be beheaded. And Paul knew the price that would be paid, and he said, yet, I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to preach the truth. Why? Because it's my duty. It's what God's called me to do. So, Pastor, well, I'm I'm sure glad God didn't call me to preach. Be glad that God didn't call you to preach, but also do not shirk the responsibility that God's called you to share the gospel with everyone around you. That God's called you to be holy as I am holy. That God has called us all to live in integrity and in truth and to to live in such a way that we to the world look like peculiar people. Not uh, because because we just look like a bunch of weirdos walking around, but our demeanor, our spirit, our compassion, our love, our boldness for truth set us apart and make us peculiar to the culture in which we live. Was always taught in college, and for whatever you uh, whatever you think of Jack Hiles or don't think, one of the good things that he taught uh, and uh, and and pumped into us and infused us into us when we were colleges. Don't let your uh, though his disposition sometimes was a little bit rough. He said, "If my if my uh, if my position offends you, that's okay. But if my disposition offends you, that's not." 
Preach the truth kindly. Preach the, preach the truth compassionately. Preach the truth in love. But that doesn't mean that it has to be watered down and softened to where it's not proclaimed with boldness. Be bold. I'm not going to get out of church this afternoon and walk up and down the streets of my neighborhood and say, Hey, you, uh, you aren't in church today, Brother Wade. You're just a wicked old sinner. I'm not going to package it that way. Still a true statement. <laughs> Miss Joanne, I can't believe you didn't let out a good loud amen right there. <laughs> We're all wicked sinners. Amen. The only difference between the drug addict in the gutter this morning that's choking on his own vomit and you and I is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And maybe if we embraced our duty, Maybe if we embraced our duty not to just go out and to share a word, but to live our lives in such a way that our word had credibility and power and moved people, then that person could be salvaged from that dung heap. Maybe if God's church would come together and realize that I owe a debt to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I owe a debt to that alcoholic that's gagging on their own vomit, and I owe a debt uh, to that uh, to that. Uh, those people that are out living their lives in immorality and desecrating the union of marriage that God has that God has instituted, uh, and do so in all honesty today. Most people that live those lifestyles do so in ignorance, with no idea or concept that God is against it. Churches today are embracing one after the other, denomination after the other, embracing just welcoming in all lifestyles of all uh, types and of all shapes and uh, and and of all creeds and backgrounds, and it's just sin. I drove by a church the other day whose pastor was not male. That's a common thing. It's against the Scripture. Well, pastor, then you're just a sexist. No, I'm a biblicist. It's what the Bible says. I can't rewrite the Bible because the culture strayed from what it says. I listen, God, God did not be more capable than I am in a lot of things, but God set an order in place. God created us for a purpose and for a reason. And we as God's people have a moral obligation and a duty to God to live what God has stated clearly in His Word and to not adapt everything in the Bible to satisfy a culture that has rejected him. I cannot reach the culture around me by watering down the word of God and making it uh, making it a puree that they can be spoon fed. I must preach boldly the truth of God's word. I want to present it with compassion, yes. I want to present it with love, yes. But I must live in a way that the message is credible. Oh, pastor, but the world won't understand that. How will they ever understand it if they never hear the truth? How will they ever embrace it if they never hear the truth? How will a man ever come to the knowledge that my lifestyle, that the way that I live, that the way that I think, that the way that I vow, that I set my value systems are wrong and that they're contrary to God if no one ever stands up and said, Thus saith the Lord. Paul said, I'm ready to preach. 
Unless we think that Paul was always uh, so concerned about uh, who was offended and who wasn't, may I remind you that Paul's preaching had him imprisoned and Paul's preaching had him uh, him, uh, stoned and Paul's preaching uh, had him uh, chased out of town. Paul's preaching was bold and was passionate and was locked onto the idea that I must communicate the truth of the gospel and the essence of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ then I cannot truly preach the gospel if I do not preach who and what Jesus is he is God he is holy he is righteous and he will not stand for those that do not become transformed into his image that's what his expectation is that's what his demand is and it does not make me saved but if I'm saved I have a duty to become what Jesus is and I cannot shirk that duty I must recognize Did I enjoy great liberty today? Did I enjoy God's blessing today? Did I enjoy God's power on our lives, our church, because of one reason? Because Jesus gave it. Because Jesus gave all. Because Jesus set it forth in his word. Because Jesus loves us and lives for us. And Paul said, I am ready to preach the gospel at Rome also. The place of his beheading. The place where Christians were burned at the stake. The place where Christians would be thrown into the Colosseum and devoured by lions as entertainment. Paul said, I'm ready to preach. I'll preach with boldness. I believe Paul was ready to pray. How many times throughout the beginnings of the books, and he says it here in Romans chapter 1, that I mention you always in my prayers. Paul's a praying man. A man ready to pray. Paul was ready to perish. He knew that his message would not be popular with the culture around him. He knew that his message would not be easy for some to hear. He knew uh, that his message would cause most to turn against him in revolt. But still he preached boldly the truth of God's word. And he said as he knew the price that he ultimately would pay in Acts chapter 21 and verse 13. He said I am ready to be bound not to... I am ready not to be bound only but to die as he prepared to go to Jerusalem. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6 as he prepared a young pastor to take uh, leadership and to stand true, his son in the faith, he said, I am ready to be offered. I am ready. Thirdly, this morning, consider that he said, I am not ashamed. Verse number 16. What a wonderful thing, what a wonderful truth that he gives us. I am a debtor. I am ready to preach. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I cannot be a powerful force in the world around me for the Lord if I am ashamed of him and what I am. And what we see here is Paul's belief. Paul's belief in that the life that he lives and the God that he serves and the truth that he preaches is right. Paul's willingness and his belief that it's so right that I'm willing to sacrifice my life in defense of it. The prominent line of thought during Paul's lifetime in the Greek culture was to assess everything by logic. It had to make logical sense or it was rejected. In the Roman mind, it was all about the law. They were the law. They were the giver of the law of the day. They were the enforcers of it. 
The Hebrews believed uh, in their culture and theirs that they had the light, and truly they had the light in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they just missed it, and in most cases miss it still. He is Messiah. He is the answer to life's problems. And so Paul preaching boldly in cultures that, uh, that have to have everything make sense logically, that have to make everything fit the law, that have to everything molded to the way that they view the light. And Paul's answer to all of that was to just stand up and to just live honestly the life that Jesus gave him to live and to preach boldly the message that Jesus gave him to preach and to realize that on the days that I feel distressed and on the days that I feel ill and on the days that I feel defeated that I must go on because I owe a debt. I have a duty. Paul's confidence in the gospel I believe was threefold. It was based first of all on its supremacy that addressed the logic. On its supremacy, no other religion in the world could measure up. Now, I don't believe personally in religion. I think religion is a device of man that condemns people to an eternity in hell. Religion says you have to do this. You have to go confess in a little booth or you have to eat this wafer or you have to drink this wine or this juice or you have to uh, you have to do all of these things or you have to be baptized or you've got to be sprinkled or you've got to do all of these different things religion is all about what man has to do religion is all about worshiping ancestors religion is all about bowing down uh, to an idol religion is all about uh, is about wrapping things around what man's obligation and duty is to inherit eternal life and what the what Jesus said is that I want not you to be a part of my religion I want you to be in entering into a relationship with me and we use the term uh, religion loosely to uh, talk about things that are that we would call culturally as religious in nature but do not mistake that that religion is not what the goal is relationship with Jesus is the goal he wants a relationship he gave himself and he sacrificed himself on Calvary's cross that we might enter into relationship with him. He, get, he loves us. He leads us. He guides us. Listen, there's no other, other faith system in the world that says that it's all dependent upon the Savior and not at all upon man to inherit eternal life other than a belief in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven. No one is going to ever walk into the gates of heaven because they're Buddhist or Hindu or Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or a Methodist or Lutheran or any other title that you want to put on it. The only people that will ever walk through the gates of heaven in the narrow gate, the narrow road, are those that realize that it's not about the title over the door, the place that I worship. It is about the relationship that I have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have I given my faith to him? Have I placed my trust in him? Have I wrapped my arms around him? Paul's confidence in the gospel was based on its supremacy. It was based on its sufficiency. There's no other 
faith system in the world that is sufficient to save man from his sin, that is sufficient to provide for man's needs, that is sufficient to grow me, to change me, to transform me from whom I was to what he wants me to be. And Paul, uh, as he wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, that we are to give our bodies a living sacrifice and that we are to then be transformed by the renewing of our mind into the image of our Savior. He did not save us so that we could just coast through life. He saved us that we might be transformed that we might stand and share the faith that he has put within us. Paul's confidence in the gospel is based in its simplicity. The power of God into salvation. And notice he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto every one that believeth. To the Jews first and also to the Greek. And by the way, that term to the Jews first, because there's a lot of ministries these days that are preaching that it's all of our obligation to go out before we share the faith with any Gentile that we find a Jew and share it with them. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is, and what he's giving here is the historical order of the progression of the gospel. We are to preach the gospel to every creature, to every man, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Just preach the word, just share the faith. The power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, everyone can believe. The gospel is not complicated. The gospel is not hard. Religion gets complex, but the gospel is simple. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Because of that fact, I deserve to spend eternity in hell. That is the simplicity, the simple fact of the gospel is that man is sinful and undeserving and unable to enter into the presence of a holy and perfect and righteous God. But that God, unwilling to and unable to compromise who and what he is, loved so greatly that he took his own son and put upon him the iniquity and the sin of all mankind on himself and punished that sin and made righteous that sin. It was purged away, punished, paid for, signed, sealed, delivered, paid in full, all on the body of Jesus Christ. And when he rose from the grave, he conquered the death, he conquered hell, he rose victorious, and because of that he says, I am not compromising who I am, I am not compromising what I am, but I will change who and what you are by my power and by my grace. Gospel simple. I'm a sinner. I must put my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross and his resurrection. And if I'm willing to come to him and say, Jesus Christ, I am sorry that I have sinned against you and I have a sincere desire to turn to him in faith, then he will look down from heaven and give me the gift of salvation through his grace. When I put my faith in him, for by grace are you saved through faith. You cannot be saved apart the grace of God and you cannot be saved absent your faith in him. I must put my faith and trust in him. It's that simple. Realizing that I have a need, realizing that he paid the price and realizing that if I will trust him and invite him into my heart that he'll give me eternal life. It's based on its simplicity. As we close this morning, I remind you that the great freedom, the great joys that we share are because of what Jesus did. 
But because of what Jesus did, we owe an obligation. We owe a duty. We owe a debt. We don't owe it to get into heaven. We owe it out of decency and love. We owe it because it's the decent thing to do. The Apostle Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 this way. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He concludes by saying that it is your reasonable service. What I have preached to you this morning is not overbearing. It is not life-taking. It is not something that is, I've got to go and, and, and stop living my life and everything that I do. No, it's, it's merging. We have to get beyond the idea that I'm a Christian on Sunday morning, maybe on Sunday night or Wednesday night, uh, and I, whenever I serve God. No, we're Christians at all times. It is not I have my life of spiritual and my regular life. No, it's a life in Christ. It's all one. You cannot separate one from the other. Either you've got Jesus or you don't. Paul comes and he says, if you realize that you've given, that you've received this from me, the reasonable, decent thing to do is to then work and live my life to repay the debt that I don't owe and that I can't pay, but out of love and appreciation. That's what he's drawing us to. General Douglas MacArthur put it this way. Because of this... <clears throat> We owe a debt. General, General MacArthur said this, No man is entitled to the blessings of freedom unless he is vigilant in its preservation. No man is entitled to the blessings of freedom unless he is vigilant in its preservation. No Christian is entitled to salvation, but we all enjoy it, and we should be vigilant and its preservation, and in its propagation. Because of this, we must be ready. Because of this, we need not be ashamed. George Canning, <clears throat> who was a British prime minister in 1827 for only four months, only four months because he took ill and died. But while he was a prime minister, he made this statement, and I think that it bears repeating as we consider our debt to Christ and the obligation, the debt that we owe. George Canning, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, said this, when our perils are past, shall our gratitude sleep. When my sins have been paid for, shall my gratitude sleep. When my needs have been supplied, shall my gratitude sleep. When I've enjoyed the love of Christ, shall my gratitude sleep? When I've experienced his healing hand, shall my gratitude sleep? When I've seen him move in my heart and my life and stir me to repent of my sins, shall my gratitude sleep? See, we come running to Jesus every time a problem arises. We come running to Jesus every time there's a bill that can't be paid we come running to the Lord every time there's a, a, a bad doctor's appointment and a disease that can't be cured. But what about when you're healthy? What about when we're strong? What about when work is abundant? What about when the bank account is full? What about when the car is running fine? What about 
when everything is just great? Shall our gratitude sleep? Or will we live repaying the debt that we do not owe and cannot pay because we love him like he loved us?